WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 7690600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Upfront program for today. It's uh, Monday, and we've got a couple of our state reps. So uh, one new, one not so new. I don't know if... <laughs> I, don't know if <laughs> I didn't want to say old. No. <laughs> okay. uh, just uh, one's a veteran and one's a freshman. Yeah, there we go. Uh, welcome to our show. Uh, busy week. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Chris Boulay uh, will be with us. Wednesday, we'll be chatting with uh, the superintendent and the uh, school committee chair. And... Uh, and following up on that headline that's in the Valley Breeze, uh, this week's edition, maybe half of the graduating class from Wonsonkin High School may not, unless, may not graduate, unless they uh, do some certain remedial work. Uh, well, anyway, we'll find out. We'll dig, dig a little bit deeper into that story on Wednesday. Okay. State Representative uh, Steve Casey is with us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Roger. Nice to have you with us. Thank you. And State Representative Steve Lima is with us. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Roger. I'm going to begin with you, Steve. Um, Which one? Um, <laughs> yeah, Steve L. As opposed to Steve C. I'm going to begin with uh, with you and uh, and you know we were talking about what they call in the in the industry softball questions, but it really is a softball question, but um, still one that I think um, uh, should we should share with our audience. So here you go. Never have any any experience in the General Assembly were under unusual conditions. We're not even meeting in the General Assembly traditional chambers. And I just want I just need that that the the one reaction that you've gotten like, wow, this is a big surprise. I, I really didn't quite understand it was all about this. What's uh what's the thing that struck you most about um your um your appearance there? Um, I think, honestly, the one thing that really hit me the hardest was when I first got there, how quickly bills were going to be introduced. So for me, getting in, I didn't have a, a stack of bills that I was waiting to introduce, but then all of a sudden it was like, okay, get them in, and the deadline is the end of February. And so that was the biggest surprise to me. I didn't realize it was such a fast pace in the beginning of the session. Who do you sit next to? I don't sit next to anybody, actually. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I get, uh, We're socially I, distant. Are you in a vicinity of uh, somebody, at least that you uh, got to know that you didn't get to know uh, before? Yeah, I mean, so in the auditorium, it's a little different, obviously, than sitting in the House chamber. So um, to my left is... Uh, Karen Kazarian, uh, Catherine Kazarian. Um, she's our deputy whip, or the whip for our majority whip. And um, Where's she from? I believe she's from East Providence. Mm -hmm. And um, in the back of me is uh, Representative Elzante. In front of me is Representative Potter. And to the right of me is the other Representative Lima, Shalene Lima, the mm -hmm. Deputy Speaker. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, she's certainly a well-known uh, personage. The reason I, I ask who's, who's around you is that uh, over the years in interviewing state rep reps, um, I have learned that uh, some friendships have developed uh, with uh, neighbors next to you. And uh, also, um, you know, they depend on each other for, uh, uh, what would what did he just say? Or uh, <laughs> what, have you seen this legislation before? Right. So, uh, But I guess uh, with all the social distancing, that probably is not as uh, prevalent as it was um, when, you, when you actually meet in the chambers. True, true, yeah. Good morning, Steve Casey. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good. So we've got a busy uh, legislative session. I, uh, if you ask me as a layman, Steve, I thought uh, 
that uh, it would be slow motion uh, because of uh, the way things are, are going. But uh, it's really qu- quite the contrary, huh? Yeah, I think everything's a little bit more. Um, it's a little bit more fast paced, um, and it's unfortunate. I just want to. I just want to say, like uh, for for Stephen uh, and all the new freshmen, I think it's it's very difficult uh, to to come into the chamber um, in this uh, you know time of the pandemic where we have to be social distance, and um, because in the beginning, uh, even even prior to session, normally there's uh, the speaker usually has a Christmas party and invites everybody. You get to meet. All the new, all the new members, um, and and the the new members get to, you know, forge friendships and and uh, and things like that. And especially with the social distance seating, uh, everything is very distant as far as contact, and uh, as well as you know, normally there's a few fundraisers where you actually get to socialize and get to know people. Um, and I think that that's part of uh, that, that that's part of the difficulty because um, I think the social the social aspect of it that happens with with the beginning of session uh you learn what makes people tick and you forge relationships and you you can figure out you know what's going to be there what's going to be a person's focus or goal uh with their legislation and what they're interested in so you you know how you can approach people uh because everybody everybody goes up there with some sort of an agenda uh, you know, they have specific things that they want to try to accomplish either for their district or for the state, uh, you know, on a, on, a, on a wide range. Um, and so in the beginning of the session, you really get to know people and how they tick. Uh, and you, you kind of figure out how to forge a relationship uh, so that you know that you can work with them later. If they need help on a certain bill or they're going to be supporting a certain type of legislation and, and you know what you want to accomplish you, you basically figure out how to approach them. Um, this this social distancing in the pandemic world that we, we're in right now uh, is puts a real damper on that, and it's tough to forge new relationships. I, there are there are freshmen that I have not even met yet, uh, physically, you know, said hello to. You know, it's just there's so much going on right now. It's very difficult. People are in and out, and everybody is you know concerned about their health and those type of things. So. It's almost like you, sometimes you have to introduce yourself over the phone to people, and it's a little difficult. When we set up this interview a couple of weeks ago, the question I'm going to ask you, I would never have thought I'd be asking you, but I'm going to hold up a headline here. Senator Reed, billions of dollars earmarked for uh, Rhode Island uh, based on uh, the president's bill. And I was just wondering, I, I do not expect a definitive answer from either one of you, but I was just wondering whether you think that this is going to throw your your budget and also uh, because there's so much money coming in uh, to the state of Rhode Island, uh, um, whether you throw the budget out and say, well, I wonder if, if uh, there's so much money that uh, we won't need to um, to raise this tax or cut that tax. I, I think... Every legislator uh, would hope that that there's not going to be any type of a tax increase. We need to see what those monies are earmarked for. Um, as you know, in the first stimulus package, um, there was difficulty um, in obtaining or figuring in, figuring out where all the relief money was going to go. Some was going to be uh, allocated for business relief with the PP, PPP program. Okay, with the with the uh, small business loans, um, and with the unemployment, uh, you know, unemployment increases. So, 
until we really know exactly what restrictions are going to be on the money that's coming in. We really don't know where that's going to be able to be used. Um, with the first stimulus package, we were hoping that, that some of that, if there was money left over, we could plug holes in the budget. Um, and again, it's a question of who's controlling that. Um, in, in the last stimulus package, it was the governor who had complete control of all of the stimulus program money. So we don't know how that's going to work out right now. So it's, it's kind of up in the air. So, and I didn't, uh, and I, I kind of expected that kind of an answer because, um, like, for instance, um, when Socket's Council Vice President John Ward, uh, I think on Friday, met with a whole bunch of, um, whole bunch of people from other municipalities trying to find out what are the rules from the Biden um, American Rescue Act, what are the rules about spending the money. So it's uh, one thing to say you've won the lottery for a million dollars, but uh, you can't spend it on what you want to spend it on. Right. I think we're all, we're all hoping that, that uh, there'll be a little bit of leeway, uh, and maybe some of that money will come down to the municipalities themselves, and then the, the municipalities will be able to allocate within their own districts um, uh, you know, where that money should be spent. So it's right now, like I said, it's, it's up in the air. If you've just joined us on the Upfront program, we've got a couple of the uh, state reps with us. Uh, Steve Lima, he's here. Uh, Steve Casey, he's here. And we're talking about uh, what's going on in the General Assembly. And we've got a lot of uh, stuff to uh, talk about. Um, incidentally, if you want to send an email, let me open up the browser here. It's always nice to you advertise that you're accepting emails and then you don't even look at the emails. That's not a good thing, Roger. Anyway, if you'd like to send us an email, it's pretty easy. Um, upfront at WNRI.com and we'll be more than happy to uh, throw the question your way. Well, the other day I got a call from um, um, a business in Massachusetts uh, and um, he uh, runs a medical marijuana dispensary, mm-hmm. and um, and we're talking about advertising. And I said, well, I'm not quite sure what the federal laws are about advertising. But the point is that they're off and running in Massachusetts. And um, I was uh, taking a, a ride to Boston yesterday uh, on Washington Street, Route 1A, going into Boston that way. And a few of the dispensaries were uh, along the way. And... There were crowds um, outside the building. So anyway, this is the year, I'm told, for um, legalizing marijuana in Rhode Island. How, what, what form do you think it will, will take? Uh, will we go full-blown or we phase it in? I'm really not sure. Um, I, had, I've, I think that the, the House is looking at it um, very carefully. Um, I believe there is there is a push and there is a want uh, to go ahead and move to a legalization of, of recreational use. Um, I think I think we're going to be taking a pretty cautious approach to it. Um, and and I have not had any input uh, and I have not heard anything on it. I know that it's being worked on. That's kind of where I can leave you. So you don't. Um it's anybody's guess, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I'm sure there. I'm sure there are some major, major proponents and major opponents of of the of the legalization for personal use. Um, but as far as as far as I know, I 
I haven't had those. I haven't had a conversation. Um, I haven't been really asked as to what I think uh, should be done, um, which is which is okay with me. I, I certainly will give my give my input um, when when the time comes. Um, but I, I think they're taking a careful look at it now before they even you know they want to come out with if we're going to do this, maybe this is how we should do it. What do you think of it? Um, and I'm not sure where we're going to go with it. So a week ago, Wednesday, we had uh, state a state representative. Yeah, he is a state representative from Warwick. His name is uh, Joe Shikachi. And he's also the House Speaker. We were uh, chatting with him for about an hour uh, yep. last Wednesday. And um, he, um, he sees um, a pretty strong push uh, yep. this year to um, maybe do the whole enchilada, you know. I, I, think, I think there, like I said, I think there's a push to do it. Um, it's just a question of a, ca a cautious approach and trying to figure out what's the right way to do it uh, for Rhode Island um, to, you know, to regulate it. Um, I think there's going to be issues with, uh, you know, enforcement. Um, you have uh, driving under the influence laws that need to be considered. I think we're I think that um, we're trying to get a lot of input from uh, local authorities, police chiefs. Uh, fire chiefs, you know that type of that type of uh, public safety uh, opinion as well. So, I I think I think there's a good push for it, like like we said, but um, I, still a cautious approach. All right, Mr. Lima, weigh in on two things. Number one, uh, weigh in on uh, on marijuana legal legalization. Uh, you're going to pretty much say, well. I'm going to go with the flow because um, it's going to be voted in anyway. And the second question is, has anybody approached you um, and started to uh, lobby you? Have you had your first lobbyist uh, <laughs> say anything to you? So marijuana first, Steve Lima. Um, my opinion of marijuana is, is very similar to what Rep Casey was just saying. I definitely think it's going to become legalized. How it becomes legalized will be uh, the important piece, obviously. Um, my opinion on it is I think it's kind of long overdue, in my own opinion, that other states around us have been doing it. So we just have to, again, make what's right for Rhode Island and, uh, and go that way. And as for lobbyists, not in, in regards to the marijuana industry, but I have been uh, called on, on lobbyists for a different, uh, different bill that they're looking for. So What kind of lobbyists approach you? Uh, it was actually for the... Um, the Royal Airport Corporation. Mm -hmm. It was just telling me that they were looking to, to get some relief on some stuff. So, All right, so you've had your first contact with a lobbyist, right? Yep. Was that a phone uh, contact? Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. All right. Are they after, do they call you often? Are lobbyists as active as they were when you first got into the uh, G8? Yeah, I, I would say I would say yes. Um, and, and <clears throat> again, the, the whole, uh, this, everything is by phone call now. Um, I've, I've, I've met with, I've met with a few lobbyists, um, but for the committee that I'm running for health and human services, um, I've had to meet with lobbyists for, I'm actually meeting, meeting, meeting with uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield lobbyists today, um, to talk about insurance issues. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm meeting with the director of the, uh, office of the health insurance commissioner, um, later on today as well. So, uh, you know, we can you can call them lobbyists. Um, at this point, a lot of the lobbyists that I've been up there for eight eight plus years now, um, a lot of those lobbyists, you know, I have I have relationships with. They're, they're friend they're friends. You know, we talk about things. Um, they can, you know, we can call each other anytime. I I actually now in my new position am asking the lobbyists to 
talk to me about the groups that they represent and how that how their groups are serviced and how the budget affects those groups and how their those groups affect the budget and I'm trying to figure out a whole map of the health uh, the health industry as it as it looks so I'm actually asking them for help at this point to learn this system it's still a learning process, huh? Even uh, after a few years in the General Assembly, huh? No doubt. Um, the healthcare, the healthcare side of of this business is brand is brand new to me. So I'm trying to, you know, mm-hmm. embrace it and 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 encapsulate as much information as I can in a short period of time. It is complex, uh, even to the the layman who's on the other side of the equation. You're on the legislative side, on the uh, re- receiving side. You get stuff from. Uh, from uh, your health care provider, from Medicare, from uh, uh, and it is rather a dizzying experience. I certainly yeah. hope you come to grips with it and uh, and protect our interests. Yes, uh, well, it, it, <laughs> it is, and and there are so many there are so many different uh, different rules as far as insurances go, Medicare. Um, and I, I met with uh, I met with uh, a representative from the Hospital Association of Rhode Island who handed me. I asked her. I said, you know, I'm just trying to get. Get an idea of how everything works, and she handed me a what she called a cheat sheet, and uh, it was two pages of acronyms, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally that that I needed to try and learn. You know, ACA. Uh, That's just a, and don't a, forget uh, the most popular acronym of them all, AARP, right? Because they're right there exactly. in the middle of the so, battle too. So there, there's there's uh, <laughs> there's just a ton of information to to learn and swallow up. So yes, to answer your question, I don't want to say that that, that I'm coming coming around to the answer. Um, lob- lobbyists are still very active, uh, more so on the phone. Um, in a lot of cases, you could, if we were in our regular setting and not in this pandemic, we would have there would have been some fundraisers, and a lobbyist would come up and say, "Hello, I need to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about this. Do you have time? Do you want to do it now? Can we set up a meeting? That type of thing." So, um, it, it's it's just that you're not getting that face to face relationship with people, and I think that's important too because um, lobbyists. They always they try to protect their interests, um, and I tell them straight out. I said, "Listen, I, I want I want I want the truth all the time." I said, "I understand you have to you have to lobby for your interests or the group that you work with, but and 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 I'm okay with that. But you got to give me you got to give me the the lowdown truth, and I need to make a decision based on you know exactly the fa- I, I I need more factual data than." And uh, you know, don't give me the hearsay. Give me the truth, and we'll make a, we'll make the right decision. We'll be back in a moment. Wright's Dairy Farm and Bakery announces we are open daily, operating with curbside pickup at this time. Visit us any day of the week for your favorite local products, including milk, cream, assorted pastries, ice cream, cakes, and more. There are three ways to order. Number one, to view our current menu and place an online order or view our frequently asked questions, go to wrightsdairyfarm.com. Or number two, call the farm at 401-767-3014, extension 2, to place your order, pay by credit card, and select a pickup day and time. Three, on-site. Order from your car with your smartphone or with a sales associate, then wait in your vehicle while our team fills your order. Please be prepared for longer waits on the weekends. So stay safe while we work through these unusual times. Please visit our website, rightsdairyfarm.com, for all the latest information. Interiors by Glow. 
Their newly opened home decor store at 275 Social Street, Woonsocket, is holding a springtime sale from March 22nd through April 21st. Enjoy a minimum 10% discount off select products. Senior citizens 65 and over receive a 20% discount. Products include a vast array of fabrics and trim, including an Italian fabric line from Italy with a manufacturer's guarantee to not fade up to eight years. Customize your outdoor living spaces with a color or print that fits your decorating style. Interiors by Glow is more than a fabric store, offering stylish, modern decorative mirrors, tabletop and hanging planters, clocks and hanging mirrors, fresh spring-scented candles handmade by Glow, including lemon chiffon and rose garden, just to name a few available at the store. Interiors by Glow offers tableau decorative grills, an exciting new concept in decorating, both interior and exterior areas that offer customization of any shape, size, and pattern to match your home decor. Visit Interiors by Glow, 275 Social Street, Woonsocket, or online at interiorsbyglow.com. Have you been seeing those TV ads about the car thief who steals a car and crashes into the owner's motorcycle? And the one about the actor where the actor sits in front of the traffic to suggest you might need auto insurance from Allstate? Well, I'm here to tell you that the Benjamin Allstate Insurance Agency is where you can go to get Allstate insurance, just as I did. Not only do I have my cars insured by this agency with free motor club access, I also have several properties, including my home, insured by them as well. Karen and her mother, Celeste, operate this family-owned agency that's right across the street from the Dowling Village CVS Pharmacy. Park right at the door. And their friendly staff can serve your needs for all kinds of insurance. And you may want to talk to Kara's mother, Celeste, on how you can put extra income to work with investment products. They're open every day, Monday through Friday, at 8.30 a.m. And you can call them at 765-5000 if that's more convenient. That number again? 765-5000. So if you've been looking for an all-state insurance agency, the newly renovated Benjamin Insurance Agency is ready to serve you. Stop in or call them today. You're in good hands with Allstate. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. Hey, the panel is uh, reconvened. Uh, State Representative Steve Lima, State Representative Steve Casey. They're both in studio on this Monday morning. We're chatting about the current session of the Rhode Island General Assembly on the House side. And uh, let me see. I think we have a caller that wants to uh, pose a question. And uh, so we'll press the magic button. The gentlemen have their earphones on. Let's see if we can uh, get a question going. Hello there. What's your question? Or comment. You can get a question. It's Vinnie Ward. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Ward. Um, I, I know Steve, but I don't know Steve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so anyway. Um, well, they're both nice guys. Gentlemen, how do you guys feel about the... T- right. How do you feel about the TCI initiative that's going on as far as the additional money that would come in for tax, um, for taxes, a gas tax, basically? To be honest with you, Vinny, I, I haven't had a lot of time to review it. Um, on the outset, it doesn't sound to me like um, like it's the greatest idea um, because we're we're putting another burden on you know on the uh, on the people of Rhode Island. Our gas tax is extremely high as it is now. 
Um, so I, I don't I don't know I don't know where that's going to go. But on the outset, I'm I'm not for uh, I'm not for raising the cost essentially raising the cost of living for for uh, for Rhode Islanders at this point. It's interesting. The only email that we have so far uh, for the program is from uh, is from a guy named Leo, and he says, Roger, would you ask the reps? If they're for or against the TCI tax increase of, <laughs> of three to four cents per gallon, and then here you are on the line, um, and uh, and guess what? Uh, here I am, not even knowing that that was proposed. So uh, you can see there's like a a big uh, spread here. Yeah. So this is uh, Representative Lima. I, I agree. I, I I would not be in favor of raising taxes on, on gases right now. Um, you know, it's too easy for for everybody to drive to Massachusetts, so it doesn't help the businesses in Rhode Island when we raise the amount of money that we charge, so they can just go to another state. So, yeah, it truly affects the border uh, communities um, and Rhode Island. Rhode Island and Mass, you know, Rhode Island is surrounded essentially by Massachusetts. Um, so your border communities uh, and your border businesses suffer as much. It's the same thing with the cigarette tax. Uh, we've been trying to drop the cigarette tax for years uh, because. You know, everybody's going to just go, go to the next convenience store over in Bellingham or Blackstone, or uh, you know, when you get down to uh, South Attleboro, Rehoboth, and and Seekonk Fall River area on the uh, on the other side of the uh, on the other side of Providence, um, it, it just becomes it, it becomes too easy to just stop next door, and it doesn't makes it makes it difficult for people to even bother opening up a business in Rhode Island. Well, thank you for your response to that. I just have one other comment. Basically, I am on the uh, governor's small business subgroup of the transition committee. And um, I, I just want to let you know right now, in home care, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of patients that are going with no care because of the problem with the inability to find CNAs. Um, and, and not nurses, for that matter, for my pediatric nursing that we do. I'm going to send you a, uh, a letter that I sent to a woman named Kim Ahern. She's a policy director in the governor's office. Um, I assume I can just send it to Rep. Dot and then your names and, and uh, it would be it would be sure it would be Rep. Dash Casey Dash yeah at yeah. RI Legislature. I just want right, to make sure you know you're going to be getting them from me because it's it's extremely important. I guess this is my lobbying for the day. Um, it's extremely important that you take a look at this because there are so many things factors that are creating this problem, and some of them are actually caused by the state of Rhode Island. So I just want you to take a look uh, at it. But yeah, I, I understand thank you very that, Vinny. Vinny, we've been talking a long time. Uh, you, you know, you've been in contact with me since I've been in office. Uh, you know, regarding uh, reimbursement reimbursement rates and uh, and and pay rates for uh, CNAs yep. and and all that because uh, and it does it affects your 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 business is in a border community. People can travel to the next state and make six or seven dollars more an hour doing the same thing, um, and and it's really not uh, you know it's it's really not helping your business because uh, you know. And any business like yours, because you're taking new people, training yeah. them, you're doing the work, you're building a relationship with the patient, and then they're going to another state uh, or you know a bordering a border community right over the line, and and you've you've invested the money in the training, and you're paying that person as much as you possibly can, but um, you know unfortunately due to that due to that circumstance you, you're losing good people and your turnover rate is is high. And uh, I, I recognize that. I understand the concept. And, uh, you know, as the, as the push goes, 
of the $15 an hour minimum wage, you cannot pay the CNAs the minimum wage or else they're just going to go somewhere else. Right. A absolutely. Right. They could, you, know, you, could go to, you could go to McDonald's and make hamburgers for the, for the same amount of money. And, and instead right. of doing um, some difficult, um, dirty and emotionally investing work. And important. Yeah. <laughs> important well thank you Vinny. go ahead and send, send me send, send me that email i appreciate it both of you okay if you, all right Vinny, just enough you send my email you have to put s lima because there are two limas in the house so oh, that's right charlene's been getting a lot of my email so if you just put s lima it's, it's thank, thank you you're welcome yes all right they thank are you. very different people thank you <laughs> the funny thing is this is the yes, first time i've been told that there's two reps with the same last name so at every single uh, vote the speaker has to actually say Rep Stephen Lima, Rep Charlene Lima. So. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Bye -bye. Thank you very much. All right. Um, and uh, did I hear minimum wage come up for discussion uh, in that uh, conversation? You did. Yeah, I might as well throw it out to you guys. Okay. Um, uh, and, um, and then we'll get to another caller. But, uh, you know, minimum wage, uh, I've, I've been reading about it in the, in the newscast. It's out there. And um, this is, it's going to happen, I believe. Yeah, I think you're going to see, uh, I, I believe it's to 20, by 2024, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to get to, to the $15 minimum wage. Um, and they're bringing, bringing it up gradually. I think, uh, I, I don't know the exact uh, amount for the increase. Um, and I think right now you're looking at the next increase is going to be uh, probably January 2021. Um, that will be the next increase, and then and then it'll be annual increase following up uh, for the following three years. Uh, call awaiting, but I and either one of you on the oversight committee uh, in the uh, general assembly? No. All right. Well, um, there is a need. <laughs> we, you should be. <laughs> I'm appointing you. There should be because uh, I think um, I never seen a, such a, an important job to over, oversee. The incoming dollars, uh, I mean, we already talked about this at the beginning of the program. Um, the Oversight Committee uh, uh, should really be w watching uh, how that money comes into Rhode Island and, uh, and how it's allocated. I, and I think a lot of that money from oversight in the General Assembly will have to do with what they do. Because I, I do believe it, it, it's a lot of it's state money, not just going to cities and towns. You're, you're talking about the, the relief money? Yes, yes. really the American rescue money. Okay. Yes, uh, I, I don't know how much oversight the committee is going to have. Obviously, obviously, um, and when during the first during the first relief uh, that the governor you know the governor received and was in charge of, um, the oversight committee asked and, and essentially you know they they asked you know can you let us know how this money is going to be spent? We need to get some type of a report and and essentially. Um, it was, it's, it's the governor's choice, uh, based based on the actual uh, documentation in the in the relief package. Um, the governor was in control. Um, the oversight committee, all they could do was receive a report to say this is how we spent it. But there's no uh, there's no uh, hands on oversight saying no, you cannot spend money here or there. So. Uh, it, that's basically the oversight in, the, in that way was just a review board. Okay, now, uh, yes, and uh, let me uh, talk about the legislation I was talking about, then we'll hit the call. It's uh, Representative uh, Barrows yep. from, um, from Pawtucket, yep. and he's introduced uh, the resolution, no need for the number, 
five-member commission to uh, to oversee the distribution of anticipated federal COVID-19 funds. The purpose of the commission would be to ensure that the money received by the cities and towns is administered wisely, fairly, and honestly, and with transparency. But apparently it's all advisory, <laughs> in a advisory capacity. Yeah, well, in this case, if this is a, if this is a new bill... Um, you know that'd be that. I think it's a good idea to have that type of oversight. Um, mm-hmm. The more pe- you know, obviously, um, there there can be there there are ways there are ways that money is spent um, that you know some some people may or may not agree with. Um, when you have when you have an extra set of eyes on things, um, uh, I think it makes for uh, more prudent decisions from those people who are making the decisions because they know they're being watched. So I think that that's important. Um, but whether or not this legislation will override the federal legislation and the rules that come down with it uh, is another story. Okay, so we have Steve Lima and Steve Casey in studio, um, and we have some callers waiting. So let's uh, hit the next uh, phone call and your uh, comment, please. Hello. Hello. Yes. Well, go ahead. Uh, I was, yeah. I was wondering what we could do to raise capitalism being taught in our schools. I was hoping perhaps by sixth grade every student could have a functional student type actual stock account where they could see how they can make money in America and how America can work for them and teach anti-socialism in our schools and get our youth to actually embrace America again. All right, I'm going to take your call on, on that. And I'm going to tie it into the civics teaching. Yep. And I'm going to ask you guys... Where does the General Assembly play a role in what is introduced in the public schools of the state of Rhode Island? Because that's basically what this question is about, whether it's about capitalism, communism, (laughs) civics, or whether it's about whatever. We'll begin with the guy who's been in the General Assembly for a while, Steve Casey. Great. Thank you, Roger. Um, I'm actually uh, trying to fiddle with my phone and find – we do have legislation in place uh, currently – uh, there is a bill out there to require that will require civics mm-hmm. as subject matter. Um, I believe it's it's eighth through twelfth grade, um, and I believe it's a, it requires at least one full year of civics teaching. Um, I I think the legislation calls for Ride to develop uh, the Department of Education to develop the actual uh, curriculum. I I think it's important. Uh, I, I believe that you know we're losing we're losing a little bit um, right now in the education system with regard to the history of our country, how, you know how 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 it developed the the legislative process, the way things uh, work politically, um, and I, I believe that that's extremely important for our youth to understand. And the answer to the question is yes. The General Assembly can play a role if somebody introduces a piece of legislation. This guy says capitalism should be taught. All right? So I say to this guy, he's from Pawtucket, incidentally, he calls regularly, find a legislator in Pawtucket if you can (laughs) that would introduce that particular piece of legislation. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, he's going to label it capitalism. I, I, I truly believe that along with the civic education um, that might be in there. Huh? Well, I, no, I truly forms believe, of government. I'm not. Well, 
true. That may be in the forms of government. But I think that there should also be a financial uh, financial awareness and financial responsibility type of uh, education. Um, so, so you know, uh, you know, when you're growing up, you know, you need a new pair of sneakers or you want a new pair of sneakers <laughs> and you want the cool sneakers and they're, you know, they're $150 for a pair and you're going to, you're going to, you know, tell mom and dad that this is what you want uh, for Christmas or for whatever. And um, you need to have an idea of what it takes to make $150 so that you can buy a cool pair of shoes. Um, and I think that, I think that people need to understand that, uh, you know, um, my parents used to say, money doesn't grow on trees, kid. <laughs> Steve Lima, did you take civics in, in school? Was it even offered? Do you know what it is? Of course. No, I, of course I do. Um, I live civics, <laughs> obviously. Um, I agree that it's an interesting thing when you look at it because, you know, I remember a statement way back when I was a little kid and I said to my mom, hey, can we get that? And she said, not right now. And I said, well, just write a check. You know, like I thought checks were money, mm -hmm. not realizing it was back. So I think it's super important that we teach the, the kids growing up and in schools things like how to have a checking account, what that checking account looks like, how to actually manage one. I know when I you know got out of high school, I had already had a checking account set up and you know it was like buying my first home at 20 years old was very interesting to me because no one taught me that stuff. I had to learn those things. But little things like that um, are really important, I believe. And I don't know if capitalism is the way to, to label it, but I think entrepreneurship is really important. Teaching kids how to run a business or how to be in business is super cool. And when you, I, I know kids now who are 14 and 15 years old who understand the fundamentals of business and how what it takes to run one. So it's it's really a great thing, I think. So you would support that civics bill? Absolutely. And I guess you guys would generally support the concept then that the General Assembly, if something is missing from the educational curriculum, that if uh, educators don't put it in, you'd be willing to have legislation to force them to do it. I guess what it all boils down to. Yeah, I, I would say that that's an accurate statement, Roger. Let's grab another call, phone call. Hello. Your comment, please. Yes, sir. I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the avenue of entrepreneurship. Uh, the, uh, the situation is that today kids don't know the, the cost of money using credit cards properly. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. anything, about, anything about the stock market. I mean, these are all life skills that need, you know, they need to be taught to children that are... Uh, at, at a younger age or young adults, and uh, but also two of the other items I want to uh, ask you about is the uh, Zambrano Hospital right. and the possible closure, and also the final thing is the uh, the senator from uh, Central Falls and his his hoodie dress attire. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll ask about both questions. Thank you. All right, <clears throat> so Zambrano is a. Uh, is one issue, and then the one that the second issue is a Senate issue, but uh, we'll uh, at least uh, touch on it so that uh, we'll touch on it. Zamborano, any, um, I mean, everybody knows where it is. It's all stuck in the woods in uh, northwestern Boroughville, but um, uh, is it uh, on your radar screen at all, Steve or Steve? I've heard rumblings. Uh, that that Zamborano is having some issues. I'm sure that I'm sure that uh, I'm going to be hearing more about it being on the Health and Human Services Committee. Um, so I don't know uh, what their financial situation is uh, and whether there's going to be some type of a, a closure. Um, obviously, we don't want to close hospitals. Uh, we had we had uh, a few issues here in, in our town, as you can uh, well remember. Um, Senator Pickard fought really hard to keep uh, 
Landmark Open. Uh, he was the main proponent for the longest time to uh, to help us keep Landmark Hospital here. Um, I don't think uh, I don't think that the people in that uh, in that area would like to see uh, Zamborano closed. And Zamborano also specializes in in special services. Uh, for the uh, the very physically and mentally handicapped as well. So um, these are populations uh, of, of of our citizens that are uh, extremely vulnerable. And uh, you know, if we're going to you know close a hospital, we need to find and relocate uh, you know relocate a lot of people. So um, I'm sure uh, I'm sure you know we're going to hear more about it. Um, but at this point, I I haven't uh, I haven't heard figures facts and uh so just just rumblings at this point do you sometimes uh i it's probably a question i shouldn't ask but do you sometimes like feel overwhelmed by the amount of material that is out there on all these different subjects and then people ask you well uh you know uh, what have you heard about uh you know the barbershop legislation you know well i <laughs> must be Odd to keep track of Steve. You can, if you're going to, if you want to answer that briefly, uh, yeah, and, I, and I'll, I'll put my two cents in after. Um, I can say honestly, it is overwhelming. Uh, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. Uh, there's so much going on, and it is such a fast pace. This isn't, um, you know, like we we don't sit down at the general assembly and discuss all the things that are happening. You have to keep track of things. You have to be on top of looking at the websites and checking out the floor calendars and the, the committee calendars and making sure the bills are where they need to be. So there's a lot happening, and there's Currently, right now, there's almost uh, there's over 1,100 bills going through the house right now. So, yeah, at, at least. So it's one of those things that you know, on a daily basis, you hear about things, and, you, and that's when you look up and look into it. And you start reading and go, okay, I'll focus on. It's almost like I, I'm not a fireman, but I guess Stephen must be like putting out a fire, right? You have to tackle the biggest ones first, and you you move on to the little ones as you go along, and that's how this kind of thing works. At least in my opinion, is it, it's it's definitely a fast pace. Yeah, I think Steve's pretty pretty accurate with that. Um, it's fast paced. Um, there are situations also where where uh, all of a sudden uh, you'll you'll get taken by surprise. Uh, you're like, yeah, I, I looked on the floor calendar. There's a there's a bill uh, you know that's coming up on Tuesday that I really don't agree with. And I'm like, how did that how did that bill already get out of committee and nobody's made us think about it yet? Um, so I, I think there's I think there is. Uh, it's very it's very difficult, uh, and when you, I mean, in, in my position, I'm a chairman. I, I, I try to focus on on the uh, the stuff that's coming before health and human services to try and to try and really uh, dive into it and see what the language in each bill actually says that this bill is going to do and how it's going to affect uh, all of the stakeholders. And uh, in the meantime, focusing on that, uh, there are other issues that my constituents are extremely concerned with as well so i'm trying to keep track of those bills and that legislation and um and trying to learn as much uh you know as as much i as much as i can about how those bills are going to affect that population and those people and and you have to understand that um you know there are some people that could care less about politics you know that and then there are other people that uh yep and there are others that that others that care about everything in the whole big picture, they want to see, like a guy like Chris Boulay will, will look at all kinds of legislation and see what affects this over here and how does this affect the budget. And I, I think he's a really smart guy and, and uh, he's got a, a really good grasp on things. And then there are other people that I like to call my, 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 one, my one subject voters. Okay, uh, if you feel a certain way on abortion and you don't vote and you don't and, and, and I don't I, I, I like 
you know, if I like you and you're not going to vote for vote the way I think you should vote, then I'm not voting for you based on that one issue. Never mind all the good things you might have done for the community. Never mind the money you might have, might have brought back to the community in the budget. It doesn't matter if you don't agree with me on this one thing, then we're not friends anymore. Um, so th those are those are the difficult, the, the, the one subject, uh, the one subject voters are, are very difficult. Um, and it's tough to bring them around to say, listen, I, I, ha I have to I have to really think about the entire community and how 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 these bills affect the entire community and the state. So it's a lot. It, it's a lot to uh, it's, it's a lot to swallow sometimes. And you really have to all of a sudden. Um, you might have to spend an hour diving into a subject and really trying to, you know, meet it out. And I think what the best thing uh, that I've experienced in the House is I know that there are people that I have come into office with, even in my class from 2013, that are still here. Um, uh, Rep. Greg Amore is, is my go-to guy when I have questions about school, when I have questions about school funding, all of those things. He's on top of it. And he knows he can come to me, you know, about about certain subjects as well. So you find those people that you that you trust and you, you know are the expert in that field, and you say, hey, well, you know, tell me about this bill. Tell me exactly what it does. I don't have time to read the hundred pages of 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 testimony. And yeah. and and I, Roger, I don't know if you've seen or heard. Um, I haven't had a hearing in the, in the Health and Human Services Committee that's been less than four and a half hours. Um, and, and the majority of them run six hours. Um, so there's just so much, uh, so much information that's being passed in on, on every bit of legislation. And like Stephen said, we might have over 1,100 bills. I, I have no idea what uh, Sam Azanaro from Westerly has, has submitted for bills. Um, I know he's the chairman of the Veterans Committee, so some, some of the material that he has is, is veterans-related, and I'm on that committee. And I will, you know, I, I will look at, I will look at the. Uh, committee inventory when I can to see what's in there, um, but you know if I have a question on on a veterans affairs issue that I don't completely understand or I don't even have time to look at, I'm going to talk to the chairman. Uh, He's your go-to guy. Well, I know I can call him and he'll he'll talk to me and you know if if he can't take my call right away, he'll get back to me. One issue uh, of voters or constituents uh, that is an issue uh, that uh, Roger Picard has uh, mentioned to me over the years. He he said they, they have uh, like a target yep. for one thing, uh, whether it be gun control or whether it be uh, the voter rolls or whatever it is, and and they don't see the rest of the target, you know. Anyway, uh, yep. yeah, you're right. Uh, one more call here before we finish up. Hello there. Your uh, comment, please. Morning, Roger. Morning, Ms. Lima. Just, um, I'm just going to make a quick comment and then ask what your opinion is on it. So, as far as public school, what's in the curriculum, I, you know, everyone has their own idea of what it should be. I know I hear a lot of people say focus on financial literacy, focus on STEM, uh, focus on other stuff, focus on, you know, whatever. But I know quite a few people that are um, experts in education, people with, I mean, people with, with um, postgraduate degrees, people who have served on school committees, people who serve on school committees, people who have been teaching for over three decades, people who have been teaching for a few years. Um, I would say at least eight to ten people I've had conversations with over the past decade about this. And the one thing they all say, the one common denominator, and all of them say the same thing. They said, if you say I said this, I'll deny it. But they all say the same thing. They say the number one problem with the lack of proficiency and growth is the parents. They said the kids who do well have parents who care and are very involved in their child's education. They said 
the kids who don't succeed. And it's not it's not an absolute rule. There's going to be outliers here and there. But they said it's just parents. They basically just send their kid to school and say, make my kid smart. And when the kid doesn't come out smart, they say your public school sucks. All I I, I feel like. I feel like a lot of times government and, and politicians, people on school boards, don't want to come out and say that because they don't want to offend people. And that's that's understandable and that's natural. I just wanted your comments, Ms. Palima. Well, I can tell you, um, I think you're absolutely right when it comes to, it does start at home. I mean, you have to be able to help your kids if you're not watching their, <clears throat> doing their homework or the grades they're getting or their attendance. Um, it definitely hurts them as students. So I think... Um, it's not far off. I mean, I, I don't know if that's a bad thing to say, but I don't, I don't see why it is. Because raising your kids is part of the job of having kids. Can I say this? Can the, could the government actually have a policy that sort of like enforces parents to sort of like almost take responsibility? Like say, hey, you need to commit to helping your kids. You know, I, and I know that might be overreach by the government. I understand that. But and I appreciate your candor. I mean, you're, I, 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 you know, I appreciate the fact that you said that's probably not too far off. I mean, but. I mean, what, what, what role would the government have to actually just sort of try to coerce parents a little more? And I'm not saying parents are bad. Look, I, I get it. I don't have kids. I never raised kids, so I'm not going to try to. But I'm just saying I feel like that's just the common denominator that they all say. Well, the General Assembly can't legislate good education. Uh, they, can, they can assist. They can provide money. They can provide correction. But in the end, here's the thing: you you can't legislate good parenthood, okay? Um, and and some you know some people some people you know have the idea that that uh, you know it's our responsibility as legislators to uh, save the world. Um, well, you know, people have to take an active role in their own outcomes. Um, and and if and if you if you want your child to be well educated, um, you know, the, there's there's a there's a standard curriculum. Every child is, should be getting the same education. It's a question of whether whether that's reinforced uh, by the parents, and the homework is done, and the kids are going to school, and you know, I, there's a lot to be said for for parental involvement. It's extremely important. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure there's studies and tests out there that say, you know, um, if there's a, if there's a uh, you know. A, the, some some of the some of the studies I'm sure and I believe I've seen some studies in the past uh, that say you know a single parent a single parent home that in a single parent home the child um, does a little bit you know will tend to do less or do do uh, uh, what's the term less well uh, you know in their in their education or will have a have a little bit more difficult time in school and th there are there are all of those out outstanding factors but there are there, but there are some there are some students who have uh, you know come from a single parent home that do extremely well but because that parent is is extremely uh, vigilant in in making sure that they do what they need to do uh, and and that they understand that the education is important um, you know school is not a babysitting service um, that's my that's my opinion and, and I don't know how people feel about that but I'm going to tell you you know, you don't send your kid to school just to be, just to get them out of the house for a little while. You, you and you have to prepare them, and they need to be ready. And and yeah. I think it's the parents' responsibility. I think you're absolutely right. Caller, we're out of time. I wish Thanks. I could Thanks, take more. Bye bye, gentlemen. We're out of time. Thank you uh, for uh, for joining us. I was just looking at my notes from uh, Joe. Sh Sh 
Shikachi when he was here <laughs> the other day. I, we covered a whole bunch of things except his housing bills. He wants you to vote on affordable housing, both of you guys, if you don't know that already. Right. He wants everybody to. We know that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thank you for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow on the Upfront program. Thank you, Steve and Steve.